0: I've spent the last 12 years attempting to build the ultimate clinic gym hybrid facility where we offer advanced sports chiropractic and the ultimate in exercise progressions. Now I've sold that business and decided to take the plunge to create a massive change within the world of chiropractic. My goal is to get hundred other chiropractors to completely revolutionize our industry and provide exactly what we want our patients to experience while helping to double our profits and maximize the license that we're given. But the real question is this, how can we create this massive change without becoming sleazy salespeople or doing crazy marketing efforts? This podcast has the answers. So follow along as I learn, apply, and share the information from the best minds out there into this, Clinic Gym Radio. I'm Josh Satterly, and I'm happy to have you here. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Clinic Gym Radio. This is your host, Dr. Josh Satterly, and I'm honored to be sitting down today with Dr. Mark Kovacs. Mark, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing wonderful. It's great to see you. Now Mark is based out of Atlanta, and you can hear that from his accent. Uh, Mark, how can you give us a little 30 second synopsis how you ended up in Atlanta?
1: Sure. so I came over to the US from Australia to play college tennis and I you know, went to Auburn University in Alabama and you know, 20 years later, I'm still there.
0: Yeah, that was uh, interesting. You went from the deepest south of uh, the globe to the deepest south of the United States. Yeah. How was that little transition for you? Oh,
1: it was was a a big culture shock change. I grew up in a big city in Melbourne, Australia, and moving to a pretty small college town in Alabama, it was very, very different, but I really
0: enjoyed it. I spent a a good number of years there and learned a lot, met a lot of great people. How was that coming across, like as a, uh, here you were coming across an athletic scholarship, right? And football is kind of popular in Auburn. Yeah. uh,
1: (laughs) I I got lucky because I didn't know much about American football when I came over. I played Australian rules football uh, and cricket and tennis. Those were my three sports. So I didn't really know much about it, but I was lucky because I went to a school that had a great football culture. You got wrapped up in it pretty quick. I loved it. I mean, I feel like if I grew up in the U.S., I probably would have been a football coach just because of the details and how things are done. Yeah. It's phenomenal.
0: What was it like your first, uh, like you know, the procession out to the field and the whole walk-up. Was that a pretty shocking sports experience Yeah, for you? I mean, the
1: tailgate they do yeah. at, uh, at Auburn is That's it's a very American thing, right?
0: Is there a tailgate? In-
1: yeah, I mean, they do a little bit of that, but it's much more of an American thing about the food and the fellowship and the culture, and, yeah. you know, they would get the RVs would be parked there a week before the game. <laughs> People would be
0: hanging out for a whole week sometimes. I know. You wonder know, how anything gets done in the South yeah. during football season, right? It, like, it doesn't. I don't yeah, think it does. It crawls something. to a halt, yeah. right? Uh, I'd love to see like a graph of how many research papers actually get published during college football season. <laughs> you know? Anyways, well, speaking of uh, published papers, Mark, you're a pretty prolific researcher. I mean, if I was to just sit here and read your bio, we would be here for eh, well, just reading the titles of your research papers. What are over 40? There, there'd be like, uh, we'd be here for an hour and a half. So uh, no offense to you, but we're going to try and talk about interesting stuff here. But how the heck did you end up going from college uh, tennis player to now you're the director of the Kovacs Institute, and it's it's a basically as I interpret it, and correct me if I'm wrong, a private sports performance institute.
1: Yeah, so we do a few different things at the Institute. So we have a division that works on athletes and assessments and testing and things in that world. Mm-hmm. We also have a product testing and R&D aspect to it as well. We work with nearly a dozen technology companies in, in the sports and performance and injury so prevention So if somebody worlds. like a, uh,
0: I'll just throw out some, body track or vest wants to bring something to market, you guys help them say like, it's good for this, not good for this, you need to work on that.
1: Yeah, so we'll work with companies in a few different realms. One, we'll do internal clinical trials for them. So okay. if they want to get a pilot study done uh, before they know exactly if it works, prototyping, things like that, we can do that in-house. Before they
0: shove all the chips to the center of the table and exactly. bet on it.
1: And, and, and also for them to learn what they're missing as well. So mm-hmm. it's a it's a prototyping R&D type process. And also we help some of these companies that do want to go and get a big study done at a major university somewhere and help them navigate that. Because most of these companies are technology folks or business folks, and they don't really understand the research world. They know they need the research to validate their product, but they don't know grants. They don't know the overhead that's involved. They don't know the the timelines and things
0: like that. So we help negotiate for them. So you're like the uh, Rosetta Stone, right? Like the tech guys are speaking in hieroglyphics and the world can't read it yet, and you're like, let me kind of translate here and let you know what what you're really going for.
1: Exactly. I think that's a really nice way of saying it. It's sort of sitting in the middle that you have enough knowledge for the tech world and the research world that you can speak their language, but you also have enough knowledge in the sports and performance and injury prevention world. What
0: would be a product that you you helped long ago, like, actually get into the market. Yeah, I mean, there's been
1: a, a, a bunch of d- different products where we've been involved with. So we're, we're, we're working with a lot at the moment. So Max is one, which is a 3D camera sort of system uh-huh. that does assessments through a camera-based model. Cool. Uh, we've been working with BodyTrack for the last few years, yeah. uh, working with Athos, the wearable Surface EMG clothing company. Okay. So there's a, there's quite a lot out there that we're working with currently or have in the past in, in different ways, like we described
0: yeah. Now, what's interesting for the folks listening, Mark also is a, a professor at uh, at a chiropractic university, but you're not actually a chiropractor, right? Correct. When I say Dr. Mark Coex, Kovac, it's because you have a PhD in in what? In physiology, so my background
1: started in the uh, strength and conditioning world, actually. So I worked as a strength coach at IMG Academy first, and then at a private sports performance facility. Worked NFL Combine back when that was sort of just getting started, the training for the NFL Combine back in 2000, 2001. Uh, And then went into the sort of research world from there. Uh, and still work as a strength coach, and uh, in, in still to work with some select athletes in in that environment. But at life, we have a uh, the Life Sports Science Institute that I oversee, which is uh, w- works on some research projects, crosses yeah. over, hosts some events, some conferences, uh, and also teach in their sport health science their graduate program. So teach a technology in sport class, a recovery in sport class, and then advanced
0: strength and conditioning. So. I love this because you're not a Cairo, so you're as unbiased as we can get. Although you take money from Cairo's at the university level, but we'll, we'll just wave that one off, you know, but you got to make a paycheck, but in all seriousness, in the world of sports performance, so that the goal of this podcast is like, talk to clinicians. I always say Mac maximize your license and live the life you dream of, right? Like what is your perspective of the role moving forward of a chiropractor. If a chiropractor listening really wants to push it and be, hey, man, I'm all in in sports. That's all I want to do. What does that that forward path look like to some guy that you you understand the sports world? I mean, you've worked for Gatorade at the corporate level. You've worked for uh, different companies getting product in. You've worked at the university level. You've worked at the Olympic level. You've done the private performance side. So you've seen every version of sports out there. Um, unfortunately, you haven't been a highly paid uh, professional with supermodels for girlfriends. But I mean, there's hope, right? Yeah, uh, my wife wouldn't
1: be that, that, that impressed with that. So right. we're, we're happily well, married. Well, the deal so. is once you
0: make the $40 million, you send her off to Europe for a couple <laughs> weeks. I'll walk you through the big steps. But, anyways, uh, so if a chiropractor wants to maximize their license, what, what do you see as the forward path? Like, what's attainable?
1: No, I mean, I think all sports teams, all colleges utilize chiropractors in different ways. And just like every other field, whether it's athletic training, physical therapy, strength and conditioning, uh, you need to have a good understanding of the other specialties now because there is a lot of cross communication. There's teams around every athlete. So that's really where everything's at and where it's going even more in the future. So from the chiropractic side, the best chiropractors I work with are multidisciplinary in their mindset as well as in what they're working in. So they have skills in a lot of areas that help an athlete because really it comes down to how best can we help the athlete perform, stay healthy, and really do what they're trying to do.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting now that every role has expanded. Every the strength and conditioning role has expanded. Right. The exercise physiologist role has expanded. We were talking last night. The sports scientist role has that's exploded. Yep. Uh, but chiropractors can no longer just be like, "Hey, all I do is manipulate." Mm-hmm. Right? It's yeah, you gotta I mean, have a and, and again, I think there that. are
1: some great ones that they they do just manipulate and do a great job with it. But I think a lot of the teams I deal with and see and work with. They're looking for folks that can do a lot of different things.
0: Right, or Uh, at least understand, right? Have some understanding of strength conditioning. You don't have to do it. No, It's like a Venn diagram with multiple overlays, right? Like you need to understand it, but stay in your lane. You need to understand what the sports scientist is telling you, but stay in your lane. But if they're telling you information about a player and you're just blinking twice and staring back at them with a blank look... It's not going to go too far. Yeah, No, correct.
1: I mean, it's like everything else. You have to understand the culture that you're working in. Who's driving the bus? Is yeah. it the coach? Is it the GM? Is it the, the manager? You know, is it the athlete? Is it the parent? I mean, it, there's always a driver of, of an athlete.
0: What's worse, the GM or the parent? It, it depends. <laughs> it
1: really does. You know, a lot of GMs actually are starting to understand this world better. Yeah. They're starting to see the importance of it, whereas I don't think they did 10 years ago, 15 years ago as much. Yeah. So you're getting more clued in GMs
0: now and owners and managers. Yep. yep. Yeah. Um, and so if you were to recommend, like, so you see these these young chiropractic students in life, right? at Life University, um, what what would you suggest, where, where should they expand their skill set? In general, if we just talk in broad strokes, where do you think they're most efficient that, and what should they learn to most have the most impact on their future careers?
1: Yeah, no, I think the biggest thing outside of the, the manual skills, developing yeah. phenomenal manual skills and, and using what they learn and then expanding on that as well, like in all fields, what you learn at university is only a portion of what you need for the real world. Doesn't matter what field you're in, you gotta upskill, you
0: gotta keep continuing ed. Yeah, bachelors in finance, that doesn't mean you're a good investment maker, right? Exactly,
1: so they have to make sure, and and most of the, all the good ones do, taking other courses, other, other expanding their skills, but the biggest thing also is understanding where your expertise and passions are. If you're a golfer and you love golf, become the best golf chiropractor you can. Or if you're a baseball player and that's the sport you love, become the best baseball player. Or mm-hmm. if you really love the foot, become the greatest <laughs> foot chiropractor that you can and become right. a specialist there. Um, as well as dealing with all the other components because it's very hard from day one to be known as the golf guy or the foot guy or whatever sure. it is. But trying to become somewhat of a subspecialist within your world is
0: only going to help you. Okay. Um, and. If, if there's somebody wants to get into sports performance, I mean high level performance, so you're building plans that are going to last 16 weeks, and you know, and have five participating professions, right? Uh, how does somebody start doing that? I mean, there's a there's a big jump. I'm trying to uh, illustrate from I graduated school, and I want to start a little, you know, renting a room in somebody's office too. Mm-hmm. I'm a uh, I'm recognized in my in my area at least locally as as somebody who's a true player in the world of sports,
1: yeah. So I think the biggest thing is everything starts local or sports specific, sure. or, or or body part specific. So you have to kind of narrow in and you know focus a big part so of your time, discover a
0: niche. Yeah. I mean marketers say this all the time: discover a niche. But whether you're saying it's foot mechanics or the sport of tennis, or I mean, you look at what's his name, uh, God, who's the guy? I think it was in Florida that he was like the strength and conditioning coach for NASCAR pit crews. Like yeah. that was his niche. And yeah. I was like, god and dang.
1: Cirque du Soleil, they yeah. have specialists, ballet F specialists. Right. It doesn't really matter what your passion is. There's enough people that want you yeah. because you're one of the best in that area. Geographically, you sometimes got to make some decisions. For sure. And And early on, you can't only focus on that there's not enough people that know you so you don't have the luxury of saying no exactly year one right and also it's good to see other things because yeah. it exposes you to other issues other ailments other sure. people so and then over time you you can then navigate from there depending yeah. on where your pa- passions change and excitement changes and opportunities change so that's the biggest thing is having enough self-awareness and self-knowledge that you know where you should
0: gravitate towards based on what comes up. So along that path, you're, you were a tennis player. I mean, you came to the U.S. on a scholarship to play tennis. You played, uh, in NCAA. Did you go on and play in, uh, what's the professional world like there
1: yeah so you know i was uh, one of the top juniors in the world played a few of the junior grand slams then played at college won an ncaa title there uh, and then played professionally for a short period of time uh, and had some major shoulder issues that were sort of misdiagnosed for a couple of years uh, now it, you
0: look back that's inspiration right it's <laughs> the
1: it's the only reason i'm doing what i'm doing now because i had to understand myself you know, it ended up being a slap tear, a bicep tendon tear, and a subscap nerve defragment. Yeah. And the subscap nerve was probably looking back what caused everything. Um, and, you know, back then, 25 years ago, there wasn't the knowledge we have today. So yeah. that was what put me into that this field of trying to understand the body well. Wow. And I still wanted to be around athletes. I still wanted to be in the world but I couldn't do it anymore as an athlete. So the, yeah. the next best thing was go in and coach and
0: learn and and, and be someone that can help other athletes. Yeah. it's uh so, so as you did that and you started analyzing more and more tennis players, uh, searching for the answers, right? Yeah, it, w- it was interesting. I actually started away from tennis because I sort of got, I really? would say,
1: I didn't want to be around tennis. It was all, what I'd done for so long. I was yeah. sort of like, I can't be a player, so I don't really want to, be in that world. So for three years, I didn't work with the tennis player. I worked track and field. I worked football. I worked baseball. They were my three main sports and a lot of track and field. Um, Sprinters predominantly. And I just wanted to learn from the best sprint coaches in the world, understand speed and movement. What what years were these? These were 2000,
0: 2001, 2002, kind of right around then. So let's see. So baseball hadn't yet seen its revolution of information, right? So you were kind of a pioneer there. Football was... In, in early two thousands, football was probably the leader in strength and conditioning. Yeah, traditional strength and conditioning, just get strong. And then either golf or track is the biomechanic centric sport, right? Exactly. Golf.
1: And tra- at that time, track and field was probably even more advanced than golf was. Like yeah, golf's been it's just
0: interesting. You found the three sports that happened to have you know you had the strength guys leading the the fight in the fo- uh, football. Yep. You had the track and field biomechanics yep. was exploding, and baseball was. Well, at least they had a lot of money and a lot of players. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, yeah. You know, baseball has, has changed a lot over the last decade. Oh, it's like, and like a hockey
0: stick yeah. of and how like, much they've adapted to information, you know? Yeah.
1: And, and again, it's like all, all sports and professional environments, they've got such a lot of resources going to so few players that actually matter and make a difference in yeah. their worlds that they have to be smart about where they spend their resources. And they're, yeah. they're trying to get better at that. I think they would say themselves, we hadn't done a great job of how we put our resources, yeah. but they're
0: trying to figure that out. Yeah, It well, luckily they spent until it hurt, yep. and then they realized what a mistake they're making, and they're going, why, why did we spend, I mean, they were signing $100 million deals for guys that, you know, three years later were were maybe on their AAA team, you know, yep. and it's like, man, that's an expensive way to fund a team. Yeah. No. yeah what what uh just of curiosity so back in those days who were the sprinters you were working with so most of the ones
1: i was dealing with were actually coming from australia so okay. so uh, i used my connections back home i had a, a few that would come over in the winter there to train yeah. they were all right around 10 second guys back then which back then was actually pretty fast now it's
0: like you have to and be traditionally way how under. was australia in the world of track and field
1: okay they weren't the top three or four or five countries but they were Top there were no fish- Jamaica
0: yeah yeah. They, it was tr-
1: definitely true and at that time Jamaica wasn't even yeah, that yeah that's
0: the you know? those are the days before everybody realized uh, you know I can train in the US and then fly and wear a different jersey yeah. it's like Come on, man. We just yeah. invested a bunch of money and time in you.
1: It's true. But I was fortunate. I learned under Lauren Seagrave. I had Vern Gambetta. I had, um, you know, Coke Smith. I had a bunch of guys that took sort Figueroa, of- own, what's his name, Dan? Dan, Dan Papp. Yeah. So Dan, I didn't spend much time with Dan. I took a couple courses with him, but yeah. he was over, I was mainly in Florida. Yeah. So those guys were all He's living in Arizona in uh, Now, he was in Texas at the time. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but all those guys, um, basically, there's a handful of guys in the USA track and field actually has had a very good coaching education program. So I went through all three levels of their coach ed program for sprint coaches. And that's where I got to meet a lot of great guys, a lot of great colleagues, sprint coaches, things like that. And that helped me a lot because now I don't really work with any sprinters. I work a lot in rotational athlete sports, movement you know, from yeah. that standpoint, but it's just gave you a great background of understanding the nuances and the attention to detail that every step matters, every foot contact matters, every component of a stride cycle is so valuable right. from a time
0: standpoint and it, applying good biomechanics. It's an incredibly pure sport. Like in tennis, I have to laterally move, yeah. I have to worry about how the ball's striking the racket, I have to worry about the surface of the court and oh, by the way, I have to now calculate what the ball is coming at me like. I mean, I work in World of Golf, and it's like, hey, the ball is sitting still, and it's it's laying there long before you have to play it, so you can figure out where you want to stand, how you want to hold your club, all that. Um, so it's almost overwhelming to start in a, ga- a game like tennis, right? I mean, tennis has more variables
1: than just about any other sport if right. you actually look at it because of all the things you mentioned. Yeah. And you can make up for a bad movement with your arms or your wrist because mm-hmm. the technology
0: allows you yeah. to make contact. I mean, you see the, contact. the player that uh, in, the, in the world of tennis, a, a player with an increased wingspan seems to do okay because it, from my perspective, that's just more... What do you call that? Uh, more standard deviations of air they yeah. can deal with than a short player, right? 100%. I mean, that's... And the technology allows you to
1: hit shots that biomechanically aren't correct, but can still get the ball in the court. Yeah. The
0: challenge for that is if you do that enough times, bad stuff usually happens. It's like playing out of the rough in yeah. golf. Like, you can hit. I mean, yeah. Tigers hit out of the deepest crap you've ever seen, yeah. but it does take a toll on your body, and you're not going to get the perfect spin you want.
1: Exactly, but they're competitors and they wanna win and they wanna make contact with the ball and have a good result, so they find a way to make it happen.
0: So you went on and created the, what is it, ITPA? Mm -hmm. Yeah,
1: so the International Tennis Performance Association um, was set up about seven years ago as a group of folks that cross disciplines, physical therapy, medical, strength and conditioning, and it was like there wasn't anything in the tennis world that helped educate folks in all these disciplines on sure. how to work with tennis athletes. So there's uh, three levels of education. Level one's more aimed at the tennis coach to give them a sense of uh, how the physical side works from okay. strength and conditioning to basic injury prevention to periodization to nutrition to all these different variables that you Just need to Just get on understand. the map
0: of being a decent coach.
1: Yeah, exactly. Okay. So pretty much teaching them sports science of tennis. Yeah, uh, and then but at a digestible Level where I'm not running multiple Excel uh, it's coach spreadsheets. It's coach language, <laughs> coach speaks. You're not meant to have a degree in science yeah. that level. This then, is uh,
0: back of the back of the cocktail napkin kind of stuff. Yeah,
1: it's really trying to simplify that yeah. world. But then the level two is aimed at more the healthcare and medical strength and conditioning professional that has to have a degree a certification a background in that world and that's much more anatomical terms with the goal of
0: i'm doing interventions yeah like i know what the problem is i'm doing interventions exactly
1: and putting together programs on court movement which is really challenging for folks that don't know the sport yeah how do tennis players move and step counts and all that footwork that type of thing in the gym what should we do what shouldn't we do are there exercises to sort of be be cautious around things like that because of the demands where the injury patterns all that type of stuff Uh, so that's the level two program and then the level three is our very high level for pretty much folks that are working at the top of the game and it's a
0: very select few folks there are you a chiropractor or physical therapist working long hours worrying about lower repayments and missing out on quality time with your family you can double your income without working more hours by adding a gym to your practice Clinic Gym Hybrid Solutions has a step-by-step guide that dramatically simplifies and speeds up the addition of a fitness center and its monthly recurring revenue. In just six months, you can be on your way to freedom. Visit clinicgymhybrid.com today for a free downloadable PDF and complimentary consultation to get you started. That's clinicgymhybrid.com. Now, let me ask you this. I asked you earlier, how, do, how does somebody maximize their license, right? Mm-hmm. And here you were in love with tennis. You had a lot of information Um, And you started essentially a, what do you, the, the, you started the, you know, college of tennis Mm -hmm. for the coaching side, right? Take me through the early days, like maybe the year before you actually had you established it because there might be somebody listening, going, listen, I really love, I'm trying to think. uh, So I'm in Vegas. They had the MMA, right? Like that sport has its own unique demands. It has its own unique, um, it's, it's got a lot of money flooding into it right now. So if there's somebody that's like, hey, I'm in love with MMA, sure. I want to help those guys perform better, there's probably specific ways to analyze striking, endurance, uh, the physiology side, the injury side, right? And how do we preserve that? And so if they want to start the you know, International MMA Institute, yeah. take us through how to do that. Because you could do this in any sport or niche, sure. right? You could do the, like you said, or the foot earlier. I could do the International Foot Running yeah. Mechanics Exactly, Organization. And, if you,
1: and the biggest thing that we ha- tried to do from day one was make it evidence-based, okay. and that was very important. It wasn't theory, it wasn't my methodology, it wasn't mm-hmm. a, a, an opinion-based Program, yeah, yeah. which a lot of things are. I mean, we know
0: most things out there, or they're uh, product-based. Like yeah, exactly, we're hosting this so that you buy more of our tape, yeah. our and you know, we we drink you know. Whatever. And our big goal and the folks
1: involved were some of the best in the world. Todd yeah. Allenbecker is the chair of the Certification Commission. Um, so we've got folks that are tennis lifers that know the sport, know the body, and uh, evidence and are current on work. the research. Exactly. So yeah. that was the biggest thing we wanted to do, partly because. It wasn't really started as a, a as a profit venture. It was really started as an educational association. Right. Um, so
0: that that's the nice part. And we've placed over 500 people in jobs in the last few years. But there's also the component of you know it's not the the conference itself is not a blatant profit venture. But there's that weird synergy that happens when you bring in people that. Some might perceive... So if I'm in a local community and I say, I just want to run the, you know, Seattle uh, Youth Football Conference. Yep. We, were, we were talking about this the other night. When you bring in people and you invite them in and you host it and you play the role of host and maybe you speak... So if you're if there's a chiropractor listening, they want to speak on some injury they see a lot in youth football players. Uh, the synergy and... What's the other thing? The credibility you gain by being in that and hosting it is is worth more long-term in business than whatever you could have made off that conference, right? I mean, would you have taken a $10,000 check that first year of profit or the profit you've made since then?
1: Yeah, no, no. I mean, you're 100% right. It's a lot of effort putting these type of things on. I mean, it's per dollar, per time, it doesn't equate. It's a loser. Yeah, if you look at it from that standpoint. But, you know, you meet a lot of great people, which builds a network, you, you, you get in front of folks that I could never have got in front of that now that when I call, they pick up, which is yeah. phenomenal. You know, and you I, have their
0: real phone number, not their secretary's exactly, phone number. <laughs> yeah, and that
1: by itself to me is, is huge value in, yeah. in, in the stuff that I do. So yeah, there's there's definitely like every industry, the first few years of whatever you try to do is going to be hard. It should be. I mean, yeah. that's why not everyone does it. You've got to push through and you've got to yeah. try to develop a certain area that that you think ha- you enjoy. And then, again, depend. most of us, I think, listening aren't business-minded people. I mean, mm-hmm. the reason we're in healthcare, we're in the world of helping athletes is because we're coaches, we're educators, we're clinicians. Right. Our skill set is helping people. Service, right? Yeah. I mean, they, they
0: you, we chose a uh, something that's almost always one-to-one yeah. or one-to-a-couple, but, yeah. you know. It's and not- that's that's been my biggest struggle is trying to understand how can
1: you make a good living... Doing it, yeah. and still hold true to all the things that you enjoy. And I've had to make some decisions. I'm where, looking
0: forward to the Kovacs Business Institute 2020. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's probably
1: not going to happen. That's not where my <laughs> my niche is. But and uh, but you you do you make some yes. decisions in life about I could go down a certain path versus another mm-hmm. path, and it may be more profitable in the short run, but it's not as passionate, yeah,
0: not as exciting. And so how did so that first year before you hosted the first mm-hmm. conference, like what were you doing to get people involved and and did you kind of call some folks that maybe were out of your league i mean essentially yeah i mean it's like everything else you
1: have a network of folks that you reach out to and you know a lot of them understood what we were trying to do and yeah. believed in the concept and the mission and how it could help the uh-huh. field and how it could help them as well. Yep. Uh, and so that was the where I think I, I was fortunate. I had a pretty good network. Most people that I asked were willing to drive or fly and you know, and, and, and spend their own money to come yeah. and present and share good information and things like that. So from that standpoint, it was valuable. So they,
0: they basically, you provided a stage, but they had to get there themselves?
1: Yeah, and right. that's where
0: a lot of the conferences, especially
1: in the academic world, yeah. That that's how it functions. So right. most of the conferences I've done in the past were you pay your own way. I mean, it's, it's, and it's one of those I was at one
0: recently and and it had a $500 honorarium, which Mm -hmm. is the academic term for reimbursement Mm -hmm. or, you know, paycheck. And one of the speakers, I was talking to him at lunch. He was from Norway and uh, he was out in the States for a week and he had flown and he got 500 bucks. (laughs) And I was like, so you're into this thing for at least three grand, you know, and, the transfer the, the, the currency exchange rate was horrible at the time yeah. so he was probably into it five grand but it was worth it for him yeah. you know he wants to establish a US footing and that gave him opportunity
1: yeah no it's it's all decisions and where yeah. you want to spend your time and resources and things like that so everyone has different goals they have yeah. different life objectives and I'm I'm sure there were people that said no
0: right that that first sure. year
1: yeah, yeah, that's I mean, when people ask me if I can do it, I'll say yes if I can, not or it doesn't fit in my schedule yeah. or I, I can't justify taking the time off. You have to say no, and you right. have to get good at saying But sometimes
0: know. those no's actually build the relationship, right? As, For sure. At least I called and, "Hey Mark, would would you do this?" and you say, "I'm already committed that yeah. weekend." But there's that thought of, "Hey, you thought of me. That's kind of nice." You know, because we're all humans at some point yeah. of getting those people. For sure. Uh, and
1: and early on as well, you've got folks that are very Excited and willing to do it without yeah. a pay a payment, and then as they get more established and they, there's more demands on their time, yeah. they have to start charging for everything. I mean, right. it's it's part of it. it's part of it, and they should. They deserve yeah. to. They're a draw. Although most
0: of the great presenters I know also always honor the uh, the people that got them started. For sure. You know, I mean, perform better. Like look at Chris Poyer. Yeah. That guy started in our world so many careers and got people. You know that first kind of gasoline in their tank and when that guy you know if he put out the call i need i'm moving houses and it's you know in the in the heat of the summer and it's on the third story and there's no elevator you'd have a line of 100 people that would help him out you know
1: for sure but that's good people that's what you want you want to associate with good people that are trying to do things for the right reasons and i think that's the nice part about like you said the service
0: sort of industries that we're in is that's what most people
1: are good people
0: and, and you've gone on, besides the ITPA at Life, you've been part of hosting quite a few conferences there yeah. with a $0 budget, right? Yeah, well, we've done a phenomenal
1: job of hosting a whole series of different conferences. We've hosted tennis conferences. Mm-hmm. We've hosted um, a major uh, baseball conference. Uh, the last couple of years, we've hosted the National Coaching Conference, which is coach educators from uh, the majority of the national sports governing bodies in the U.S., uh, and life's been phenomenal. They've really embraced this concept of bringing you know, folks on campus, yeah. exposing them to the university, uh, and really trying to allow this to happen. But like a lot of events, there's, there's no real dollars for it, so you have to you know, ask people to come speak, you have to sure. partner with different groups that are willing to sponsor and help you out and things like that, and also you're trying to keep the registrations low as well. These registration costs the goals are to get people coming, not to only have a handful that are paying a lot. Yeah, And also to expose the students. The big part of it is we get a lot of students that it opens their eyes to say, hey, there's a big world out there. with These
0: people are phenomenal. So if there's somebody that has some space, maybe they work with a a gym that, you know, if we push all the equipment to the sides, 4,000 square feet, uh, and they want to host a conference, any any nuts and bolts tips of how to do it that you've learned?
1: Yeah, I think the biggest thing is don't start as a general conference, like we do everything, or we, we're teaching everything, or we've got just random presentations. Yeah. Theme it, theme it around a sport, a body part, a specialty, whatever it is, and target those specialists within a drivable distance. Yeah. And that you're gonna probably do a better job than if you say, this is just a strength conference, and it's 10
0: different things yeah, on like strength. Yeah, like the NSCA conference, I mean, the, the National Strength and Conditioning Association if you look at what they talk about over three days, it's so broad that uh, I I can't think of one that I've looked at and I've gone like, dude, I got to go this year. Yeah. Because it's like, oh, there, there's a great, you know, this is a great two-hour session by so-and-so, but the rest of the day is like, oh, I'm kind of into that, kind of, you know. And, and I think they put on a great conference. I'm not trying to disparage them. But to your point, it's just when it is so broad, it's like the draw is not nearly as
1: Yeah, and I mean, I think some of those bigger industry conferences Uh have multiple purposes. One is to get some education from the speakers, but a big part of those are networking, uh, being in the subcommittees, being in the special interest groups, getting to meet like-minded folks in one location. So that's why most of those big ones have to be like that. But a lot of them are trying to do tracks now where you know if you're more of a coach model, you'll go to these type courses. Yeah. If you're more of a scientist background, you'll go
0: to these courses. I think that the PT world, physical therapists do it well with their, they have their combined sections, which yeah. is everything, everybody with that license. And then like you're saying, they have the tracks. That this is our sports track. This is our orthopedic track. This is our stroke rehab track. Yeah. And uh, they seem to do a good job of that. We we're talking professionally; they've organized. I wish we would see something like that in the world of chiropractic.
1: Yeah, and I think there's an opportunity there. So, for anyone's out there that sees that, there is definitely a need, and I think an interest to say, how do you get all these subspecialties in one place, but still keep their keep stay true to their subspecialties?
0: Right. Yeah, because in the world of PT, again, like there's a sports section, and then there's an orthopedic section, yep. and then there's a rehab section. Well, okay. Those are going to overlap quite a bit, yeah. and there's no reason you can't attend two of them or or mix and match if that's what you do. But uh, this idea of like uh, sometimes in chiropractic we form these islands ridiculously, and you know, and uh, we don't get the goods and services coming across to that island, and we but we uh, sit there and complain that hey, there's no goods and services on our mm-hmm. island. You know, it's like, well, yeah, you set up that situation, dummy. Yeah, no, no, I mean, it's, I
1: mean, all fields struggle with that a little bit. And, you know, y- you have a certain skill set and you want to make sure people recognize that. Yeah. But to do that, you have to actually share and coordinate and work with others because most of the consumers, the athletes, are looking for that. I mean, that's yeah. what they're looking for. The coaches are looking for right. it. The athletes
0: are looking for it. Yeah, a consumer doesn't really care about your license or whatever. They just want to know you're good. Yeah. Right? They want to say, can you help me? Yeah. And it, you look at Tesla. I mean, if that car wasn't an excellent car, n- nobody's going. I want a electric car more than I want. No, like if you look at the Nissan Leaf yeah. electric. It's like, eh, you yeah. know, they're not prolific. But Tesla is like, no, we're gonna make a fantastic car that's also electric. So if you can be a f- fantastic sports provider who's also a Cairo, that's a better approach than waiting for people to just go. I need a chiropractor on my team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's one of the big
1: shifts in society in general is the need to sort of recognize you've got a great skill set, yeah. but you've got to also give the
0: consumer what they're looking for, which Perfect. sometimes isn't always the same. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Mark, I don't. I know we, uh, we got to get into this conference. I don't want to take any more of your time. But for those folks who are interested in, in following up with you, maybe reaching out or discovering some of what you do. How can they find you or get in touch? So, yeah, on
1: social media, my uh, Twitter, Instagram is mcovaxphd. So, and Kovacs,
0: spell that for
1: us. Uh, it's M, uh, the letter M, and then Kovacs, Ph.D. So if you go online, you know, I'm pretty uh, active on there. So if you've got questions, you want to communicate through there. Our institute website is KovacsInstitute.com. And then any, any students that are interested in Life University, go to life.edu uh, and check out some of the programs there, both in the chiropractic side, but also uh, in the sport health science side.
0: Nice. And the the sport health science side is some of your influence, right?
1: Yeah. So we have a graduate program in athletic training. We have a undergrad and master's in sport health science and also in injury management. Uh, And it's a a nice environment there where a lot of these specialties cross over and talk to each other and things like that. You guys are doing it right over there, man. That's awesome.
0: All right. Well, Mark, this has been awesome. I appreciate all the time and uh, I look forward to seeing more of your stuff out there because... I, I I think I told you last uh, when we met. I was told you got to interview this Mark Kovacs guy, and I was like, I don't know who it is. And now now that I met you and heard about you, I'm like, how did I not know about this earlier? You know. Well, uh, it was great catching up. I appreciate all you're doing as well, Doc. Yeah. All right. Well, on behalf of Dr. Mark Kovacs, this is Dr. Josh Satterly saying, go out there, maximize your license, start the international whatever you want society, host a conference, and live the life you dream of. Thanks a lot, Mark. Thanks for listening to Clinic Gym Radio. If you're ready to double your profit without working longer hours, please visit clinicgymhybrid.com and find out how easy it is to get started on your path to freedom. That's clinicgymhybrid.com.